Well, hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you today, and uh, very Merry Christmas, right? As we start this new series, we want to remind you as well, we're relaunching our Beyond the Sermon videos, so uh, during the weeks of this series, you'll also see we take some time to, to answer your questions, so make sure during these messages, post your questions and, and submit those questions, because we want you to engage and, and, and stay involved in what's going on. And something I may say over the next few weeks may spark a question that you have for more clarification, more understanding. Let's get into this and go a little deeper into it. And so uh, just keep a lookout for that and, and let's engage in this together. Now this Christmas season, we're calling it a very Merry Christmas. It's not a typo uh, because we're looking at the life of Mary, Jesus's mom. And we won't aim to, uh, to worship or deify her. This is not a Catholic Christmas that we're having. But we're inspired by this young girl's faith. And I think as we look at her life, we're going to learn from her example how to embrace Jesus this Christmas season. And when you look at pictures of Mary, that's often what you see is her embracing Jesus. She's holding baby Jesus. She's hugging him and cuddling him and, and holding him in, in these different ways. And so that's where we get this idea of how do we embrace Christ? What does it look like to hold Christ and to, to embrace all that he is in our lives and in this season? And so really excited about it. Now, as we start today, I want you to, to jog in your memory banks a long time ago before caller ID. Do you remember that time where you would get a phone call and you would actually answer it even though you didn't know who was calling? You didn't have apps that blocked robocalls and unknown numbers. There wasn't a skepticism of like, uh, I don't know who's calling, send it to voicemail. It was just, the phone is ringing, hello. You remember that time, right? You would get these calls, and, and occasionally in those calls, you would get what? You would get sales calls. You would get calls of, uh, of different things telling you you had won a major award or, or achieved something or, or gotten some sort of special treatment in some case. I remember getting one of these one time, and, and we were told that we won a, a trip to Hawaii. And, and we're going to get to go to Hawaii, babe. This is great. We were, I think, just engaged at the time. So the idea was like, oh, man, after we're married, we can go to Hawaii. This is going to be awesome. And then uh, I think what, what we bought into, we hadn't been accustomed to getting a lot of these calls before. And so over time, as you get more of these calls, what questions tend to come up, right? Questions of skepticism, like, well, okay, buddy, but what's the catch, Right? Uh, how is this going to be possible? What do you want from me? You're trying to feel out, like, is this real or is this a scam? And, and usually at the heart of it is like, well, why would you randomly be calling me? And, and we think about these questions, we develop this kind of skepticism or resistance to it. So normally now, what do you do? You don't even engage, right? You hang up quickly or you don't even answer. You just like block the call or ignore the call. And, and as we begin looking at Mary's story, we see that Mary is interrupted by God. In a moment, just an unexpected moment, God shows up and an angel has a message for her. God is calling her into something, calling, into her, calling, into, uh, calling her into his love and into relationship, into his purposes, into all of these things and into this adventure. But in the, in the midst of that calling, she's going to wrestle with some of those same robocall scam questions that we have. Uh, why me? Why would you pick me? What's the catch? This has to be too good to be true. I'm going to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Uh, yeah, okay. And like Mary, we're called into this adventure with God, and the question is, will we answer the call? Will we embrace that call? Or will we send it to voicemail? Will we disregard it? 
Today, as we talk about embracing God's call on our life, we're gonna look at Luke chapter one, verse 26 through verse 30. Very famous passage of the Christmas narrative, and it's our starting point for this series. Luke 1, 26. Luke writes, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Greetings! You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have, been, you have found favor with God. Now, imagine this for a moment. We don't know what's going on in Mary's life. We don't know if she's like doing things around the house or if she's hanging out and just resting or relaxing or if she's actually asleep. We don't know. But all of a sudden, bam, this angel shows up, interrupts her life, and has this message. Hey, you are favored. God favors you, highly favored. And guess what? Later on, he's going to go on and inform her of what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the savior of the world and all of this stuff. We're going to talk about that next week, but right now we're just going to focus on that phrase. You are highly favored. Verse 28 and verse 30 repeats this phrase. You, are, you have found favor with God. The Greek word that's used there is this idea of not only being highly favored, but the grace of God, the kindness of God, that something is bestowed upon us from heaven that is undeserved and very divine, right? But there's this blessing, and, and there's this connotation of also Mary is being pursued by this grace. It, it is this pursuit of grace upon her life. And you may be reading this and thinking about it and thinking, yeah, that's Mary. That's her story. That makes sense. But I'm not the Virgin Mary, Sean. I am in no way in her league. She is out of my league in terms of spiritual favor and being highly regarded by God. And I would challenge our thinking today that the same favor that is bestowed upon Mary is bestowed upon us. Whoa. Just let's think, let's let, let that sink in for a moment. The same favor that is bestowed upon Mary in that moment can be bestowed upon us. What's interesting, in the ancient language, the same phrase for the grace of God that is bestowed, that, that highly favored, that's grace, that grace of God that's used to describe Mary is described in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 by the Apostle Paul when talking about Christians. And in this long passage, he talks about us being chosen by God and predestined by God, adopted by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God, brought into the family of God, all by what? The glorious grace of God. Verse six emphasizes this and, and uses the same word that Luke uses. This, this Greek word for highly favored. The grace, undeserved, unmerited bestowing of God's grace upon the Christians of that time and the Christians of today, all through Christ. The same grace where God looks at Mary and he picks her, he chooses her, he favors her. Well, God looks at you, he chooses you, and he favors you. That's God's call. To call us out of our monotony, to call us out of our own lives, to call, of, call us out of this world, to call us out of our sin, and to call us into something different. To call us into being a child of God, a disciple of God, a follower of God. In that calling, there is a new identity that is refined and redefined in him. You see, that's part of that calling. Often with the calling, we focus on everything that Mary's going to do for God. 
And often when we think about calling, we do the same thing. What do I do for God and his purposes? But we have to start with who, is, who are we in God? What is our identity in God? Because that's Mary's message that it starts with. Not Mary, you're going to have this baby and going to do all these amazing things. It is Mary, you are highly favored. And I would say to you, you have plans and purposes under God that are going to be incredible. But first, we have to remember we are highly favored by God. The grace of God is upon us. Jesus reiterates this idea that the grace of God is upon all of us, not just a select few, when he has this conversation about his mother. In Luke chapter 11, it says that as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You see, Jesus, when he has this moment, he's not disrespecting his mom. Jesus would have understood to honor your parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It would have been very valuable to him, and he honored his, his mother. He's not disrespecting her, but what he's doing is he's helping us see that she is not superior to anyone. The, the, this woman wants to, to elevate Mary, and he's saying, whoa, 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 slow down. Let, let's not get out of control here. She is, she's another person that is loved by God. Yes, but... Blessed are those, rather, who hear the word of God and do it. Those who would hear the invitation, hear the calling of God, and respond to it. That is what is blessed. That is the grace of God upon our lives that we experience. And Jesus is showing this so that we will not disqualify ourselves. We may not feel like we measure up to Mary. We may feel like we have to be kind of like that crew in the Men in Black where it's like, I've got the best of the best of the best, sir, with honors. Right? That scene in Men in Black when Will Smith kind of feels out of his league sitting around in that room. Some of us, when we look at the story of Mary, we kind of feel out of, their, out of the league. But you look at Mary's story, and she is called highly favored and to have found favor with God. And, and let me ask you this. What has she done to deserve that? Up until this point, what has Mary done to deserve the favor, the grace, the, the, the choosing of God in this way? What has she done to deserve it? Nothing. The answer is nothing, if you're wondering. The answer is nothing. She's done nothing to it. She has no special training. She has no resume. This is the first time we, we, we discover who Mary is, and it shows you what grace really is. It is this unmerited, undeserved, unearned, unwarranted love. That's the kindness of God being bestowed upon us, being shown to us, that God chose us. We didn't choose him. God loved us first. We didn't love him first. God chose Mary, loved Mary, and has that message for her. And you're gonna do amazing things, but first I want you to know I love you. And that's where grace gets confusing because we start thinking about, well, what do you mean God loves me? I haven't done anything for him. What do you mean God loves me and it's not because of what I bring to the table and the skills I have and the talents I have? What do you mean I'm loved like Mary's loved? Mary was the Virgin Mary. She was amazing. Her picture's everywhere on Google. My picture, I type in Sean and all that. I get six other people that come up. You're telling me I, I experienced the same grace and the same love and the same favor. That's what's... The, the paradox here of, of this idea of grace. It goes against a lot of what we feel inside, and Mary's experiencing the same struggle as well. She doesn't just jump right in full of zeal and passion saying, all right, God, whatever you say, let's go, right? What does Luke say in verse 29 and verse 30? Let's read that passage again. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered 
what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary's troubled, meaning that she's confused. She's begun to become puzzled or fearful or anxious. She's worried. Why? Why is she troubled? Why not just hear this and be like, yeah, all right, thanks, God, let's go, right? I think it, initially it shows that she's not a prideful and arrogant person. She's very humble in her heart, right? If she was prideful and arrogant and kind of expecting this, she would have seen the angel show up and say, you're highly favored by God. She would have been like, yeah, that's right, man. I am favored by God. Bring it on. Let's go. It's about time, God. But that's not her response. She's troubled. She's trying to wrap her brain around this thing. And, and I think the humility of heart comes from the humility of her circumstances. Mary understands that she is an ordinary person. She is not a superhero. She's unassuming. She's unnoticed. She's uneducated. She's a teenage girl that is engaged to be married. That is her lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's her life. Even think about the announcement of this, this proclamation. The, the location of it is ordinary. It's done in the city of Nazareth. Usually when you would make a big announcement or proclamation, you might consider a location that is important or valuable or, you know, elegant and, and regal in some capacity, right? When we have a presidential inauguration, they don't just pick some back alley over here with some bad lighting, right? When you go to propose to the love of your life, you're not just like, hey, there's a gas station, let's do it here. You pick something that's sentimental, something that's valuable, something that's precious, something that's memorable, something that's important to you. But the angel's announcement didn't happen that way. It happened in this little town of Nazareth, not in the big city, not in the temple, in this tiny little agrarian overlooked little town of Nazareth that was disrespected, even considered unclean because of its close proximity to the Gentile people. And the Jews looked at it and said, that's kind of an unclean part of town. We don't go there. That's where the declaration of Jesus' arrival is being announced. That's where the Mother Mary is being uh, uh, proclaimed right in this moment of ordinariness. As we kind of look at it, I, would guess, I guess you could say it's like the American poets of Journey would say. She's just a, she's just a small-town girl living in a lonely world. And she's wrestling with this questions, these questions as the angel is saying this. What does this mean? Who am I that you would pick me? We're not trying to be disrespectful to Mary. Don't get me wrong. I think she is a, an example to follow and learn a lot from, right? That's why we're doing this whole series. But it also means that we don't elevate her to some, some superhero icon status, that we lose sight of her ordinariness. I don't even know if that's a word, but her ordinariness is still important in her story. And sometimes what happens is over time, we lose that aspect and begin to just look at, oh, she is so amazing and so regal, so superhuman in these ways. Her character trajectory, her story trajectory is similar to that of John McClane out of the Die Hard movies. Bear with me, I know that seems like a reach. John McClane, Mary the Virgin. Okay, here we go. Now, it is Christmas time. And so I'm going to talk about Christmas movies over the course of this series because I figure, why not? It's Christmas season, and Die Hard to me is a Christmas movie. And as you look at Die Hard 1, you see John McClane is this ordinary Joe. He's this, this cop from New York that's at this holiday party, and he's just a guy, right? He's just a dude. He becomes scared. He's vulnerable. He's, he's 
not anticipating everything. He bleeds, right? He's just kind of this fly in the ointment of the story. His physique is not one to be intimidated by. He's not muscular and huge and, you know, he's just kind of an average dude. But as the Die Hard series continues into Die Hard 2, 3, 4, and 5, over the course of time, you begin to see he loses that ordinariness. John becomes, John McClane becomes this larger-than-life character. He, his physique changes, his demeanor changes, his wit and banter changes. He doesn't seem to have any weaknesses. He's jumping on airplanes and launching cars into helicopters and doing all these things. He's become a superhero. And much like, much like John McClane, Mary, over time, we, we begin to forget she's just this small town girl living in a lonely world. She is just ordinary and uneducated and just one of many faces in this small little town. And so you have denominations and religious groups that want to inflate her character to something that is larger than life. But in reality, Mary was a sinner. She is not to be elevated to this godlike status because she didn't live a sinless life. She herself was a sinner. In reality, she is not our mediator between us and Jesus. We don't pray to Mary like the Catholic Church does. We don't worship Mary like the Catholic Church does. Why? Because the only Hail Marys we endorse are in football, right? She is just an ordinary person, but in that ordinariness, we can relate to her. Her ordinariness is not a flaw and a, 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 a part of brokenness that should be looked down upon, right? Now, often we look at ordinariness and we kind of see insignificance. We equate ordinary with hopeless. But God doesn't need elegance to do something extravagant. It is remembering her ordinariness that makes her whole story relatable to us. We begin to see that the grace of God can be poured out on anyone of any situation, of any status, of any spiritual accomplishment, of any gender, of any social economic status. The grace of God, the favor of God can be poured out on anyone. That is the beauty of Mary's story in this moment. The other part that is so relatable is how she relates to it, right? She's hearing all about this favor of God, and we process very similar to Mary thinking, uh, I don't know how I can wrap my brain around that. Why would you pick me? Why would you love me? How could a God choose to love me? How would you favor me? How would you do this for me? We allow the fear and the confusion and the doubt and the insecurity to disqualify ourselves. And Mary's right there feeling that tension. And as her brain is processing all the information, what does the angel have to say to her? Mary, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't be worried. And this instruction helps us see kind of what she's feeling and thinking in that moment and how her mind is just processing all of this. And to bring peace to her mind, the angel reminds her one truth, one promise that she needed in this moment, which was that God was with her. She is not alone. Reminded that God is, and one of the names of God is Emmanuel. God is with us. There is a peace in knowing that we are not alone in these situations. My wife will often tell me that she doesn't sleep well when I'm out of town. She gets a heightened sense of awareness of every noise and every creak. She gets a no, she, she's aware of every car that drives by in the middle of the night. And even with the security system alarmed that somehow she doesn't sleep well when I'm gone, but when I'm home, she could sleep in this heavenly peace. Knowing at 3 a.m. she could wake up and look over and see this mouth breather. 
because there's a sense of safety and security and peace knowing we are not alone. Mary needed to know that. You're not alone. You are favored by God. I know you're struggling to wrap your brain around this right in this moment, but God is with you. And I think we struggle to wrap our brains around the love of God and the grace of God at times. And we wrestle with that. And even in our worry and our doubt and our insecurity and our fear, we need to be reminded that God is with us. God is with us. And it echoes some of the words that John writes in his letter. In 1 John, the apostle John writes these words that, that remind me of this conversation that's taking place between Mary and the angel. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I'm going to read that again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You see what he's saying? God is with us. God is in us. Continue on to verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we all have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. You see, because God is with us and God is in us, we have a boldness and a confidence. See that word there? That confidence. We aren't fearful and shamed and uh, insecure. We're able to be confident because we know God is with us. In verse 18, we're going to finish with this verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Another way we could say this, there is no fear in God. But God drives out fear. You see, God is with us. And so all the fears and doubts and insecurities that we wrestle with, man, oh man, when we learn to embrace the idea that God is with us, it helps us begin to let go of all the doubts and fears and insecurities that we're trying to hold on to. You see, we can't embrace God and his identity for us all the while trying to embrace all this fear that we have. The insecurity, the less lesser self-value and self-worth that we have. And when we understand and embrace this promise that God is with us, we begin to embrace the idea and the promise that God favors us and God loves us. And that helps us begin to embrace the identity that God has for us. Who he sees us to be. And it gives us this fearful, or fearless, not fearful, it gives us a fearless confidence to then go do whatever he's called us to do. And as we talk about embracing God's calling today, I, I think we often focus on what we do, right? I said that earlier. God's calling is, is more than just what we do. It's more than just the purposes of God. It's being reminded that we are called into this identity of who we are in God's eyes. Mary's story reminds us that as we understand who we are, it will affect what we do. God is inviting her into this adventure. But first he wants her to know, you're loved, you're favored, I'm with you. You are chosen for this moment. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see Mary. As she goes to, we're going to explore more of, of her journey and how she has to grapple with risk. And she has to grapple with uh, contending for the impossible and believing in a truth that is going to be very difficult for others to grasp. Right? But she wouldn't be able to do any of that. All of that would be daunting. If she didn't first understand this, you're favored, you're loved, you're mine. Embracing God's calling is about embracing our identity and so that we can then embrace his purposes. 
Another way I would say it is Mary is slowing down to do the heart work so that we can go forward and do the hard work. You see, a message like this is, is challenging to us because we want applicable points. I want six steps to being a better person. This is about slowing down and identifying who we are in God's eyes. And that's heart work. And that will prepare us to go do the hard work of being, being righteous, living out the right things, going and doing what God has called us to do. That's hard work, right? Honoring your, 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 your spouse and, and raising up your family to love Jesus, evangelizing to your neighbors, spreading truth instead of lies. All of that stuff is hard work. Mary's about to go do some hard work and, and be the mother of the Savior of the universe, right? That's hard work. Going and, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's hard work. But we can't do the hard work if we won't slow down right now and do the hard work. And so as we close, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine for a moment. Go ahead, close your eyes. Wherever you're at, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine you're going about your day tomorrow. Maybe you're going to work. You're running errands. You're shopping. You're, you're cleaning up around the house. You're decorating for Christmas. I don't know what you're doing tomorrow. But I want you to picture that you're interrupted. Wherever you're at, an angel shows up. Whoa. Just this random moment, unannounced. He shows up. <laughs> Greetings. And he says, you are highly favored. You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are highly favored. Loved by God and chosen by God. Don't let this confuse you or scare you or worry you, but remember that God is with you. My question for us is, how do we respond? How will we embrace God's calling on our life? Let's pray. Church, I want to pray for anybody right now that, that even in this moment is hearing about the grace of God, the love of God, the calling of God, and just wanting to choose to say yes to, to Jesus right now. In an attitude of prayer, I just want to, I want to be praying for you in, in this moment, but if that's you and you're watching live at 10 a.m., hit the, hit the yes to Jesus button that's right there on the screen. If, uh, if you're watching after the fact at some other time, fill out a connect card and, and let us know as we want to pray with you. But right now in this moment, if this is you, if this resonates with you and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to pray for you right now. Jesus, I pray that you would be the king of our life. That we recognize in this moment that we are chosen by you, loved by you, pursued by your grace not for who we are or what we've done, but because you love us. And we say yes to you. Even when it's confusing, it doesn't make sense, God. We say yes to you right now. Be the king of our life. Be the savior of our life. Forgive us where we've been wrong, where we've lived in sin, and we've made choices that weren't of you. But God, I pray that this is a, a, a time where we move forward in you. We discover more of your grace. We discover our identity in you. And we move forward 
in your love and in your grace. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.